0: Welcome to the RPG podcast,
1: and we are live. Oh God, Pat! Presented
0: by Sheep, a Time Wheel production.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, John Prather. Is that Prather? Prather, Prather. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say Prather.
0: E- either way. <laughs>
1: so, John Prather, you are an, an author and a foster. Are you? Do you do foster care or did you adopt? Yes.
0: Uh, both. I'm a foster parent. I've adopted. Uh, yes, I'm an author. I've done some fitness modeling. So, uh, yeah. started out uh, as a foster parent and then ended up adopting. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but ended up adopting uh, a couple of my kids. So, yes. Yeah.
1: So it starts off because I'm actually interested in foster parenting, you know, with the uh, intent to adopt. And when I was reading about you, and I saw that, I, I wanted to ask you about that. I, but maybe we can start a little bit before that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know you're you're from Memphis, Tennessee, yes. but and you're you now live in you know Southern California, uh-huh. and. So can you tell me like how that like what prompted you to do that and how that's going?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, every day's an adventure out here. So it's, it's something and it's a complete culture shock from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So I grew up, uh, you know, I was born in Nebraska, a couple of years in Missouri, and then my parents moved to uh, Memphis. And so I'm from a big family. I have seven brothers and sisters. Nice. And so for me, I always, I'd never been to California, never been to Los Angeles, but I grew up always saying, I'm going to move to LA, I'm going to move to LA. To me, it was like the land of opportunity. I was going to move to the West Coast, I was going to Los Angeles and just, you know, I've always been kind of a dreamer and wanted to try things. And so I always said I was going to, it took me longer to earn up enough money. And, you know, uh, my dad has kind of, he uh, got cancer and so I had to stick around a little bit for that. So I got out to Los Angeles much later than I intended on. I was about uh, 28 when I moved out here. And so, so but I'm one of those people, I had no, really no experience. I didn't know anything about any area of town. I just put a bunch of clothes, boxes of clothes in the back of my truck and I started driving. And I came out here with no house, no job, no prospects, no nothing. I really, I'm surprised I made it because I'm one of those people that my plan was to do it. And if it hadn't been for just sheer just willpower and determination i would have been on the first bu- uh, bus back home so it really is it's it's surprising that i was able to uh, kind of uh, stick it out and survive but uh, you kind of got to want to do that if, if you want to make it in los angeles i feel you, like
1: you were by yourself at the, at the time
0: yeah i was you know i left everyone thought i was crazy because i you know i left a, a job with a salary and a future and all that type of stuff and just uh, quit and Came out here by myself, uh, you know, found a roommate situation and uh, did that for a little while. You know, I eventually, a couple of years later, met my uh, now wife. Uh, but yes, you know, I came out here not knowing anything about anything or anyone. And it was, it was a, a steep learning curve coming from Tennessee to move to Los Angeles. It really was.
1: You just had a dream. Yeah. You know, and like you believe in the law of attraction and that type of stuff, what you think yeah, about, absolutely. you bring about. Yeah, I'm
0: a very positive person. I agree. I think that you, you, and and a good dose of determination, because a lot of things, you know, it's easy to have a dream. I talk about this a lot. It's easy to have a dream, but a goal is different. A dream is easy. Everybody has one of those. Everybody, you know, even where I grew up, everyone from into Tennessee, you know, a lot of people from Memphis, oh, I'm going to move here. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this, that, something else. And to me, that's all well and good. You know, LA is a city of dreamers. But having a goal is different. Having a goal has a it's a dream with legs. It's it's you gotta get up and do something about it every single day. Yeah. And so having a dream is great, but it's not necessarily good enough. You have to have that determination and that steadfastness to say, I'm gonna stick with it no matter how tough it is, no matter how for me, how lonely I was out here for the first for the six first six months, I hated it. I would have moved back at a drop of a hat if I wasn't so determined to stay here because It was tough everything was three times the price people i couldn't understand people you have like you know it's completely different mindset a completely different attitude uh you know out here everybody is not to paint a really bad picture but people are looking to move up the ladder any way they can so it's easy to be fresh off the bus and get kind of run over or taken advantage of so every day you kind of have to uh, not defend yourself, but build up these walls to be able to stay uh, kind of on your own path and not get used up or get uh, trampled on. But at the same time, you have to kind of keep that hopeful, dreaming, kind, positive spirit going to be able, like you're saying, to attract that. So it's, it's kind of a balance you have to walk that can be tough to do sometimes. And that goes not just Los Angeles, but anywhere. You know, the, it's, 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 it's a big world out there, a lot to explore, but You know, it takes some determination to go out there and explore it sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean I hear that everyone's kinda out for themselves in in LA. I I grew up in Orange County to an extent and Uh it I love the beach. I actually just got back from La Jolla, which is right. Oh amazing. Yeah, Yeah. so necessary because I'm living here in the mountains of Colorado where and it's I love it too, but it's been getting dark at 430. Yeah, (laughs) people have been, you know, like going through some sort of seasonal depression or whatever, and I yeah was just really craving some uh, beach sunsets, and I, I was able to catch a couple of those while I was out there, and it was so rejuvenating, and and like what you were saying about to come back to what you were saying about dreams are one thing, but goals are you know, more definitive because you can daydream and never do anything mm-hmm. about it. But with goals, you have inspiration, you take action and you m- make, you know, a step further towards that goal every day. And eventually, in a lot of instances, you reach that goal and then you set new goals. But yeah. um, dreams are fun and can, you know, you can dream. I want to, I want to get a plane. At some point and maybe not yeah. I don't necessarily need to own my own plane but just have access to you know like leasing or share, sharing a plane because i want to be mobile and able to move around the world as i see fit so that's kind of like a dream uh-huh. slash goal i've been putting it on my vision board now for the past like five years and a lot of the stuff that i put on my vision board ha- have come to fruition but there's, there's some that have not quite, uh, you know, made it there. You, you yeah. A, uh, how you like not, cause i because I want to write a book, but yeah. you actually wrote a book and you're like, or two, and you're are you working on your second and third one or something? Uh huh.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what you're saying actually, because I you know every year. I'm not a big resolutions person because I always feel like resolutions are kind of negative, kind of like what you're talking about in the pow- power of positivity. But goals, I always feel are positive. So at the beginning of the year, I'll come up with three to five kind of goals that I want to accomplish during the year. And I sometimes hit some of them, sometimes miss them. But, you know, resolutions, I feel like I want to stop smoking. I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, stop doing this, doing that goals are i try and look at the positive side of it i want to uh be this generous and give away this much money i want to write this book or right? i want to accomplish this uh, set this powerlifting record whatever it is it's all kind of positive things for me and the write a book i was i grew up uh, you know listening to my grandfather's stories he was a great storyteller and i could just sit there and listen to him over and over and over again he's one of my heroes and i just he had a way of uh, of turning a phrase, of making the punchline interesting no matter how many times i would heard that same story. So I grew up loving the art of storytelling. And so every year on my goal list, it was, you know, write a book, write a book, write a book. And I constantly had this goal and it just kept getting bumped year to year to year. And then so one year, about probably five years ago now, I sat down and I I like, said, you know what, this is the year that I do it. I'm d- it's, t- it's done being kind of a dream. It's going to be a goal now. And I said, no matter how bad it is, no matter if anyone ever sees it, if it doesn't ever see the light of day, if it's the worst thing I've ever put on paper, I'm going to have a finished manuscript. I'm going to finish a story beginning to end, book, you know, uh, book level, book, uh, you know, length. And I'm just going to have a completed one. And so I did and I sat down. And I just kind of like when I decided to move to L.A., this was, you know, a little bit after I decided to move here. I just decided I wasn't going to take, a, you know, uh, no wasn't going to be an answer for me. I was going to finish it. It could be very bad, I decided, but it was going to be done. And so I did that. It took about six months, but I, it, it's interesting because... That kind of went onto the computer. Well, I didn't own a computer at the time. I had an iPad. So I was sitting there punching in on an Whoa. iPad, which is a lot more work. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was rough, actually. I don't, I was uh, struggling a little bit on the struggle bus when I first moved to LA. And, um, but I wrote this finished manuscript and the thing about it was I proved to myself that I could do it. And nice. it went from being again, a goal every year to, or a dream every year, I'm sorry, to being a goal that I actually did. And again, the, it, it wasn't very good. I always think about it fondly, but the truth <laughs> is it really wasn't, it wasn't that great of an attempt, but it was a finished attempt. And that was part of you know, my mentality of having to switch from having a perfect book in my mind yeah. to having a completed one. And so after I wrote that, it was like two weeks later, I had this idea for a different one. And I just sat down and it was like the floodgates had opened once I proved to myself that I could do it. And again, I had a lot more time. I had no kids at the time. I was had, you know, I was living on my own. You yeah. know, didn't know anyone in L.A., so I had more time. But it took me about three months, and I wrote another manuscript. And that one ended up being my first published book. But it was that first one that I always point to of me just deciding, you know what, I'm tired of being the guy that says I'm going to write a book because I've said that since I was a kid, and I'm going to become the guy who who wrote a book. Hell yeah! And so then. I mean- it yeah. was a whole process of getting, you know, a lot of rejection letters as every author goes through. A lot of rejection letters, no, this is no good, this won't work, whatever. But then I finally found a publisher to pick it up and got that that uh, second manuscript published. And it was one of those things where it was a, a, a big accomplishment for me to just change my mindset from having to be perfect to having to be completed and then proving to myself that I could complete it. And that really opened the gates for my kind of writing
1: from then on that's that's inspirational i started a book and i thought it was going well but like the story went in a direction where i didn't have the like it hit a roadblock because but the character in the book was inventing something and that invention it turns out that that invention already existed and (laughs) i was like kind of it just kind of stopped me in my tracks and i didn't uh uh-huh. and, and you know i basically gave up which i don't advise doing because that's what yeah. <laughs> as soon as you give up it's over i should have coulda woulda and still can i guess at this yeah. point, like backtrack a couple of steps and maybe invent something else but i could i i had the idea for the, the invention that you know the guy was inventing in the book and it was gonna you know I don't even know where it was going to go like how do you yeah. know did you know the end of the book when you started it or did it kind of just flow through you as you were writing it i did the first okay. one that
0: i wrote the one that i got published i'm sorry the first published book yeah i i knew the kind of basic plot point i knew the beginning i had kind of the first chapter in my head Yeah. and i knew the ending that i was writing to but i wasn't at the time I didn't know anything about writing. I'd never been a writer, never knew anything about writing classes. I liked to write. I you know, just did it on my own a lot, um, and, uh, but I had an ending in mind. So I basically just started writing, and I did kind of the snowflake uh, or seat of your pants style, they call it, where you just write. You don't have an outline. Now, I've learned since that it's smart to have an outline. I'm still not very good at having an outline because the current one, um, that first one was a novel. I wrote a fitness book that I'm actually shopping around now Looking nice. to get uh, published, and then I'm writing a, another novel at the moment, and this one I don't know the ending to, and I'm going to be as surprised as anyone when it happens because I know the plot, I know everything that's happening, but I don't know how I'm going to wrap it up. So it sometimes to me it's it's you know I I like to get into storytelling mode and and I'll almost follow my characters around in my head, which sounds weird. No. I just let them discover it, and then yes. I write it down. So I feel like I'm almost not even a storyteller, I'm a story watcher. Yes. And so sometimes, you know, I'll have a, a something I'll see will strike a chord, and I'll be like, oh, you know what, I'll maybe put that in the book, or a couple of scenes from the first book that I got published it, were from a dream I had. I woke up and I was like, well, you know, that would fit right in with the book. And mm. so I just changed. You know, I changed the me in the dream to the main character. And, and you know, there's a dog in the book. And, it you know, it's one of my childhood dogs in the dream. And I just switched it to the dog that's in the book. And it fit perfectly. It, maybe it was my subconscious working on the book while I was sleeping. I believe in stuff like that as well. Absolutely. Um, so it kind of comes in all different ways. But I think, you know, for me, you know, I started with the love of storytelling for my grandfather. But my mom was really big into reading and So I credit her. She's, you know, I dedicated my first book. Um, to her because when I was younger, I didn't like to read, but my mom was like, you have to read. It makes you smarter. It doesn't really matter what you're reading. It just matters that you're reading. And so she would make us read like 50, a hundred books a year. I mean, she would put so many books. You're a kid and you're like, mom, it's summertime. I'm trying to play baseball with the boys. Like I'm not trying to read 50 books, but she insisted. And so by necessity, I got much faster at reading and then became so that I enjoyed reading. And so I would read just on my own I would read 100, 150 books a year and just kind of flying through them. I learned to read pretty quickly. And it's funny because then when I wrote the book and I finally decided, listen, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this. And I know the beginning and I know the ending and I don't know anything in the middle. And then after I kind of shopped it around and whatever and finally found a publisher and got it to an editor and all this type of stuff, it actually fit the kind of outline of a book really, really well. And it, I had never seen an outline of a book before, I didn't know, but just from reading, you know, I'd literally read thousands of books and subconsciously understood like the plot points and the, you know, the act one, act two, act three. And so I naturally was able to kind of put that on on paper without even knowing that I was doing it in the book just because I had read so many books. And so it's interesting to me because I credit my mom with, with really making me read and then giving me a, a, a love for reading because that really helped me in the writing process. Uh, I didn't realize it until later, but then you know, I got with a publisher and whatnot, and they're like, oh, well, this actually fits the, the, the perfectly. There's wow. very little to be, you know, there's some editing, but you know, there's very little overall structural editing to do to it. And I was completely surprised because I had never had one writing class about editing. I didn't know anything about plot points or any of that type of stuff, but it just worked because I had so immersed myself in it for so long.
1: It flowed through you do you uh, yeah. have you, have you heard of Stephen Pressfield's the War of Art?
0: yeah, I have yes okay. I'm not super familiar but yes
1: well because he he talks about the muse and and you know just sitting uh-huh. down to write and letting the inspiration you know you just sit down, you start writing and whether it's good or bad every day mm-hmm. you sit down and you do the work and uh, were you doing a writing on a daily basis or Kind of like, what was your method for completing that first book to make sure it got done?
0: I was. And again, I had a lot more, uh, you know, now I have four very young kids. At the time I had none. So I had far more, I thought I didn't have time, but I actually had a lot of time looking back on it. yeah. But yes, so I had set her aside and I would have two or three hours where I could write. And I, you know, I I have a process where I'll turn on, you know, uh, kind of a playlist of movie soundtracks that I put on that uh, kind of get me in the mode and I'll sit Mm -hmm. there. And again, like working out for me, it's kind of a discipline where you sit down there and I decided I was gonna sit at the, t- uh, the computer or iPad in this case. And I said, you know what? I'm sitting here for my two hours sit. And if I write two sentences, then that's what it is. And if I write 2000 words, then that's what it is. And some days I would sit there and write a sentence and erase it and write a sentence and erase it. and Sit there and stare at a Blake screen. And nice. to me, it was a lot about the discipline of the process of just making myself sit there and making myself learn how to write a book or to finish a book. And so some days it would flow. Some days I'd be sitting there and I'd, four hours later, I'd look up and be like, man, I just knocked out four chapters and I think it's flowing pretty good. I don't even want to stop right now. And right. some days you're like waiting for that alarm to go off and be like, okay, two hours and I got three words done. So let's drag uh, in tomorrow. And so for me, that was the process. Now, you know, then I had some kids, you know, getting into the foster care and adoptive and then had some biological kids, had a lot of kids in a very short period. So my time went from having, you know, some free time to nothing, it was less than nothing. And so I had to, my writing took a hit because I had to try and figure out how to change my process because I kept waiting until for me in my head, I was like, okay, I need to have this kind of two hours where I can kind of get in that mindset. I can put myself into this world because that's what I would do. And like I said before, kind of follow these characters around and just observe them. And then I realized, you know what, with four kids running around, I'm interrupted too often. I don't have two hours to set aside to get into the mindset of writing. And I had to change my mindset to say, okay, John, you know you're 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 smart enough and disciplined enough to be able to figure out a new method because the old method, you keep waiting for it to come back so you can write another book and it's not coming back. It's gone for probably eighteen years. And so I said, okay, I need to be able to at the drop, instead of take twenty minute process of turning on my music and getting into it and reading a couple chapters and and going back on what I wrote and get the blood flowing and get the mindset flowing, I said, you got to be able to sit down and write 20. If you have 20 minutes, if you have 15 minutes, you know, if you have five minutes, you have to be able to be able to sit down and deliver in five minutes or deliver in 15 minutes. So it took some work again, because it was like relearning a whole process again for me, where again, when I had a couple hours at first, you know, it take a long time to get the juices flowing. And then it gets shorter period, shorter period, shorter period as I got better at it. And then I had to start over again and be like, I've got to narrow that window down to like 60 seconds. I got to be able to sit down and say, okay, let me crank out. I got time for 200 words. Let me crank out 200 words in the next 15 minutes before the kids get up or before this happens, whatever. And so I had to change my process a little bit. So with the last you know, year, year or two, I've started really writing prolifically again, because I kind of had to develop that same mindset I had before. It doesn't have to be good. It has to be done. There's a famous uh, author, and I don't even know who it is, but you hear this quote quite a bit about, I can fix a... a a bad page, but I can't fix a blank page. And I kind of had to get in that mentality of, I can go back and fix a bad page, but a blank page, there's no fixing that. And so I had to change my mindset of it once I had kids and almost develop a new routine where I said, okay, how do I sit down and immediately get myself into the into the writing mindset? And so my process was one thing and I've had to develop a new process, you know, kind of in my more recent uh, time.
1: Well, I, and I'm thinking, you know, you might be in the midst of maybe some family time or something's happening and you might have an inspirational thought and you're like, oh, I need to go write this down. I'm assuming that has happened or, you know, yeah. and it go ahead.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it used to be, you know, uh, I was when I first started writing and decided I was going to do that first manuscript. I was uh, single and shortly thereafter, I met my wife and we weren't married yet, but we would spend some time together and sometimes we'd be out to eat or something like that. And I'd be sitting there and she could tell that I was like gone because my mind went to that place and suddenly I was following this character around my head and I was like, Oh, that's what they do next. Oh, that's that's interesting. Okay, let me. And so I would then go and like run to my room or whatever or go put, you know, grab the iPad and try and write it up really quickly. I've had to now learn because it, you know, inspiration will strike at any time. I've had to now learn how to kind of bullet point that so I can say, okay, I can pick up my phone and in my notes app. I punch out like, okay, I, i got this whole scene in my head. Suddenly I don't want to lose it, but I don't yes. have time because I got, you know, my son's climbing on my head. My daughter's pulling on my arm. My other daughter's asking for a glass of milk, whatever it is. I've got to be able to just punch out you know, again, developing this new process, I have to punch out a few things that will remind me of what I'm doing so that later when I have a, a time or I'm an early riser, I find that I call them found hours. You know, once you stop having free hours, you got to have found hours where That's you cool. find time to do things. And so for me, one of the big one is I have to just get up earlier than what I normally get up. sleep less. Uh, usually about three to four in the morning, every morning. Whoa. So Yeah. And what time and do you so go to sleep I, at night? Um, you know, between, uh, usually I try and be in bed 10, 11 PM, something like that. Yes. You know, I've usually, I've always been able to function on, you know, less sleep than I think most people normally do. Okay. If I get four to five hours, so long as they're consistent, yes. uh, in a row then I'm fine, but like five hours to me, I could survive on five hours a night. My big problem was having a lot of young kids. And we had, you know, we had four kids within two years, it was, interrupted sleep so it would be like four hours but It would be like one hour and then i was up for 30 minutes and then another 30 minutes and then i would be up for another 30 minutes and then i would sleep for two hours and then i'd be up and it was really kind of hodgepodge sleep which was one of the problems of me trying to still stay you know in the mindset of being able to get up at 3 or 4 a.m i would be exhausted wow. as opposed to sleeping for four or five hours in a row i would be just fine
1: wow yeah my my problem ever since i got out of the army I don't know what happened because I used to sleep through the night like a normal person, but I wake up <laughs> anywhere from like four to eight times a night. Mm-hmm. And I, but I, I typically I'll just get up, walk, you know, around the house for a few minutes. I just I don't know if I get I'm restless or yeah I don't know why I don't I cannot stay asleep for more than like three or four hours. If I like I used just said if I actually stayed asleep for three or four hours straight which and and right i always like right around 4 a.m because i've by 4 a.m i've woken up like three or four times and then mm-hmm. but and i if i when i get up and i see the clock is four okay i'm like okay now when i go to bed i know i'm gonna sleep till about seven and yeah so, and those and that is like the my like Sequential sleep time where I know it's it's gonna I'm gonna sleep straight through and I, I've been having the wildest dreams and I've been writing them down and I I don't know that it would materialize into a book or anything but actually I was writing in my journal t- this afternoon and this morning it was kind of vague because sometimes you know you remember dreams pretty vividly uh-huh. and then other times they're kind of f- foggy or just not as vivid and this one unfortunately was not quite so clear but i do recall or i was describing it kind of like as a movie set in a movie theme because i was like in an apartment and then someone came to the door and then i was being chased and then i was like then i was literally in my dream in a movie set and there was some big crash that occurred like a fire truck ran um, into the ledge on the top of a, a parking garage. And my wife was standing right next to me and, like, she pulled something and nothing. I didn't feel anything, but like, she pulled something uh-huh. out of my neck because there had been, like, a piece of shrapnel that was, like, st- stuck in my neck. And it ended up being, like, a computer chip. It was really weird, but she pulled <laughs> it out. And it didn't, I didn't, like, Die. there was no blood even it was you know how dreams are very strange uh-huh yeah but um that was really cool that you said that your mind kind of helped you wor- you know in just working on the book or, or finding like uh-huh. continuing the story and your subconscious I, I i could totally see that as like super plausible and you know you're working on something so much and thinking about it so much and then you know you might stop thinking about it consciously but your mind never really stopped subconsciously yeah. and and it like filled in the gap or kept the story going for you and you were you said you were able yeah. to like wake up and or you know remember it and write it down and and uh, keep the story going with a dream you had that's pretty
0: yeah yeah dreams are fascinating to me because they're so real no matter how Crazy they are when you're in them, no matter how much you are violating every law of physics, every yeah. law where you'll go into a house and it'll somehow be bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. But when you're in the dream, it's completely normal. You don't even think about it. You don't even think about that you go into your childhood house somehow, and it's also somehow the White House, and it's like, you know, somehow seven stories tall. But when you look at it from the outside, it's one you don't think about any of those things, and it violates every law that we know. Right. But while you're in the dream, it's the most real thing that you've ever experienced. And it's, it's totally so crazy normal. to me yeah. that this, that all of it is totally normal. You can see people at different ages and it's completely normal to you. Meet people. It's it's fascinating to me, just the whole world of dreams. And then they're the most real thing. And yeah. you can wake up and at 1st they're the most real thing. When you first wake up, you're like, oh man, I got to tell people that. <laughs> it's going to sound crazy because I got to explain to them how the onion gets bigger the more you peel it instead of smaller. But I got to explain this to them. But it's so real that you want to tell people all about it. And there are all these fascinating things about it. But then also, it's, it's smart of you to write it down because a lot of times you th- it's so real in your head and you think you're going to remember it. Like, this is something I'll remember forever because this is like super real to me. And then as the day goes on, it's almost like smoke. Like, you know, it's there somewhere, but you can't really wrap your head around it. You can't mm-hmm. really wrap your mind around it suddenly you're back in the in the real world, so to speak, where, you know, there's the laws of physics and gravity and all these things that suddenly reapply to you. And you're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How do I even explain this? And so dreams are just, they're fascinating to me anyway. Um, but I like to pull little pieces from different dreams or little pieces, little scenes, things like that from different dreams. And I feel like Uh, As you said, sometimes your mind is working so you get stuck on a plot point or you get stuck on something and you say, okay, I got to put this aside and not worry about this. But your brain, when you go to sleep, is now suddenly free to worry about it in a good way. It's free to work over this problem. And sometimes it can solve the problem for you. It's the same thing when I get stuck in writing. I feel like one of the best things that I can do is, interestingly, go get a massage or go and do an early morning workout. And I feel like something about getting the body movement kind of frees up the mind. And suddenly this, this plot point that I'm working on, this thing that I've been stuck on for so long and really cannot figure out, like you said, how do I figure out the fact that I invented this invention that's already been invented and how do I move on from there? I'm so stuck. Where do I go from there? I should just quit. And you just get so frustrated at it. And for me doing like a really early morning 4am workout or something, which I often have to do or. Or, you know, maybe an afternoon massage, it gets somehow breaks everything free and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I can go this way with it, or I can redo this, or I can change that, and it helps break that free, which is I think as a writer, to me, the, the you know, life is I'm obviously very into fitness doing the fitness modeling and stuff. Yes yeah. it's, it's intertwined. People try and keep it as like it's either a mental thing, you got the people who are like, Oh, it's all about, you know, you do all mental stuff, it's all professors at universities and learning about this and that and all about this and they don't work out at all and they have nothing to do with their physical life or you have all the you know super jocks who gym rats who've never read a book in their life but they're you know yoked and jacked and and to me I don't understand the uh, the dichotomy I don't understand the difference between why you wouldn't you know, I joke sometimes like you can literally read a book while you're on a, a on a treadmill, on a cross trainer. Like you can do both at the same time. Why does it have to be one or the other for so many people?
1: Yeah, you can be like um, a complete anyway. package. I mean, yeah it sounds like you are and, and it's making me think of Lex Friedman, who's like a like super genius podcaster, roboticist, and but also I mean I guess he does jujitsu and you could be more well-rounded by Yeah, you know, he plays the guitar and he, I believe he writes, I don't even know if he writes, but he was a professor. Do you know who that is? Lex Friedman? Uh, no, I yeah. don't. It's I okay. Don't. No. He's just like a podcaster yeah. and he's been on, I'll have to look like, him up. Wrote, he's very inspirational. I like him. And yeah, he's a, I'm, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've just started reading more and writing and I'm just, I don't know. The writing came from a place of almost like despair or something. I was just like my uh-huh. thoughts were getting. and I was mentioning like the seasonal depression at the beginning and having to go to uh-huh. California to the beach. And when I went to California to the beach, I was I was walking along the beach and I, and um, I had I had actually you know how they'll have like a notepad and a pin in the at the bedside table or something at a hotel uh-huh. room. Yeah, but they, well, they don't have those anymore by the way. Yeah. Typically.
0: Oh. Did COVID get them or
1: what? Man, no, I just think good. they're just probably reducing expenses or at yeah. least at the hotel yeah. I was at, which was a pretty fancy hotel. Um, but I took one of their little brochures and turned it inside out and I put it in my pocket and I took a pen. I had brought a pen and I was, but so, cause I wanted to just like write down my thoughts mm-hmm. to clarify like what is going on in there you can you can talk or you know if you're listening i don't know if you're like listening to stuff all the time and not really expressing yourself in a just i don't a therapeutic way like i i just feel Mm -hmm. like i was in need of clarifying my own feelings and thoughts on paper and because i talk in podcasts but i typically am interviewing someone else and so it doesn't really, you know, I'm not really expressing myself too much, although sometimes I talk a little bit more than I should when I'm interviewing someone. And I was going to therapy, but my therapist said that I was good, which I had been going to him for quite a few years. And, in, you know, like two years ago, he was like, you're good. And I was in a really good place. And I have mm-hmm. been, but something along the way happened and I just like hit a, Mental place where it was like uh-uh. not terribly healthy, and so at the beach, I started just writing just writing what I'm observing, writing what I'm feeling and thinking, and then started like flowing and now I have probably not not maybe not a hundred pages, but I'm just like writing everything, and I'm really yeah. enjoying it and it's, I'm feeling so much better. I was just talking to my brother uh before this week hopped on here and telling him how rejuvenating that uh trip was and and what i'm doing to you know like with the writing and how much better i'm feeling so i you're living in southern california so you don't really even have to go anywhere although i don't i don't know la is i i never really spent a whole lot of time in la when i did go it looked kind of trashy yeah in certain areas yeah. when you go to like to visit I, the stars on the sidewalk and uh, yeah
0: when i first moved here i was you know again i'd spent three days driving in my truck i was exhausted i was you know lonely and sad from leaving you know 28 years a big family all my friends wow. you know went to college in memphis everything so i was in a really bad mental state and again, I I didn't know anything about California. I had never been here. I came here one time for a couple of days, just flew out here to kind of investigate before I came. Smart. And uh, didn't, know anything, didn't know anything about anything. Even when I got here for that trip for like two days, I just rented a car and drove around. And I looked, you know, it's back even before GPS. So I had just gone on like Yahoo maps or something and printed off like this is cheap apartments type of thing. And I would just drive to them. So I didn't even know the difference between like Beverly Hills or Santa Monica or like I really was so such a rookie it was so bad surprised i survived and so i went and looked at like you know uh, studio apartments because you know my mindset was like this price range and so i'd go look at studio apartments that were still twice that by the way but they would be like 300 square feet in like koreatown and inglewood and when i remember when i first drove out here i was driving down the 101 and I got into Hollywood and I was like, oh man, this does not look like anything I've seen on TV. This looks really bad. This is horror. It's like graffiti everywhere and trash all over the place. Right. And it was it was not the dream that they sold me of Hollywood when I would watch a television. Right, and it wasn't so, Beverly again, Hills I,
1: 90210. It or was
0: not, yeah. You find out later when you're driving down Beverly Hills and you got the wide streets with the palm trees and not a, not a piece of litter bubble gum to be found within miles. You realize that there are certain areas and I, and I love L.A. I, you know, I've I've been here 12 years now, so I, I love L.A. Now I'm in Manhattan Beach, which is always my goal. As soon as I discovered Manhattan Beach, I was like, OK, you know, one of my goals to live in L.A. was to get to the beach. And so, yes, for me, like you're saying with the beach, you know, I've, you know, been fortunate enough to be able to after many years in Hollywood and West L.A. and all over the place. I was able to get to Manhattan beach. And so now that's one of the things I'll do. Like you're saying, I'll just go down there and sit there and watch the waves crash and yes. watch the sunset. So and nice. there's something so like just cleansing about it, just watching the day, erase and all the problems and everything just kind of go down into the ocean and then reset for the next day. It's one of those things. It's, it's hard to describe to people who don't get to experience it on a regular basis or haven't experienced it yeah. because it's one of those things I'll never get tired of. Cause anytime I'm feeling, too much, too overwhelmed, too whatever. I can just go and sit there and, you know, maybe it's crazy, but you know, that's how I hope to die. Just sitting there watching the waves roll in and out and I'm going to be just fine. So to me, it's something so cleansing about that. And then like you're saying, watching the sun, the sun fall into the ocean and just the colors and the different, you know, God gives you a whole new one every single night, every single time. It's completely different from the last, you know, however many you've seen. And it's just, unbelievable to me but it's a great cleanser it's a great uh, you know a reset for me um that i feel like you have to find those type of things in la and in life in general you have to find those things that you can kind of anchor yourself to that will reset you that will ground you ground that will you. bring you wow. back that will that will cleanse you all those type of things whatever it is because you know not just la but you know the world in general it's, it can be a rat race and so you got to find those things that can kind of bring you back to a to a good place whatever that is for for each person you know my mom you know she she grew up on a farm so for her it's like horses animals whatever that type of stuff so whatever it is for whatever person yeah that's you've got to kind of find that and so in la i think it's a really big deal to do that
1: i know i also just joined the jujitsu gym which i have been on and off uh, in gyms since my 20s so the last like 24 years doing Jiu jitsu, and it's so like what all those words you were saying grounding, cleansing, rejuvenating. It's, fu- it's fun, I love it. And I literally went to my first class since before COVID um, last night, and I, I was like, oh, I fucking needed this so bad. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is so fun, uh-huh. and I feel, and I'm going back tomorrow. I called a lady and told her, I was like, This is, I'm joining. I didn't ask how much it was i'm sure it's going to be a couple hundred bucks but yeah you know it's not anything in comparison to you know like uh yeah absolutely if you need it the cost is not really a factor at least not in this in this case for me but fitness is a big deal for you and as well like and Mm -hmm. so you were saying you get up early in the morning, but like otherwise sometimes to fit it in, like how, 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 uh-huh. else, how do you like fit that into your day with everything else you have going on?
0: It's always been for me kind of a non-negotiable. It's funny because, you know, I got into it, you know, I credit my dad with my fitness. You know, he always worked out back in the, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties back in Memphis and my dad was he always worked out he had a home gym in the garage and he you know he and a buddy welded together a bunch of equipment and it was one of those things he did on a consistent basis and so i grew up kind of thinking that was normal and i didn't realize that he was actually the weirdo in the neighborhood at the time people didn't have home gyms; they especially maybe a bow flex they did not have like a squat rack a power rack a lap pull down a bench press and so he'd be out there with his you know 1970s 1980s headband and short shorts on doing squats and deadlifts and all this kind of stuff and I grew up just watching that thinking it was normal. So then when I got into kind of high school, my brother and I started working out, you know, in our home gym and I didn't realize again until later, I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, my dad's fit, all these other dads in the neighborhood are, uh, you know, overweight and, you know, work to death and whatever. But it was always one of those things, even if my dad got cancer and really started losing ability, he still, that was one of the things he didn't lose. You know, he, he kept it to the very last moment that he could, he still worked out regularly. And so for me, I grew up, you know, kind of that being a normal thing. So when I started doing, I started working out consistently when I was probably about 16 years old or so, and it just became a habit for me. Again, it was one of those things that grounded me. It was one of those things for me. It was a discipline thing. I could have a bad workout. That was fine, but I couldn't miss a workout. And so I could have a short workout. I could have a crappy workout. I could have whatever. Are you talking every day? every day i would work out five days a week. i've worked out for the last 20 probably 23 four years five days a week okay. consistently and you know occasionally in there i would i would go on vacation and, and plan a week off i used to plan a one week off every year but yes four to five days a week consistently okay. Okay. that became kind of a staple for me and again they didn't always have to be all-out workouts but they were a regular thing and uh, you know i started out in my dad's garage gym my older brother and then a friend of ours. And we'd just bang around kind of learning how to do things on our own, you know, put up some pictures of Arnold on the wall Hell and yeah. some quotes and just like go out <laughs> there and bang around, not knowing what we were doing. And it was funny because of my dad, people always ask, well, like did your dad, cause he worked out all the time. Did he make you work out or ask you to work out or insist?" Never once. I don't remember him ever even, you know, saying you should work out every day, but it was just one of those things, me seeing him, you know, sweat and work hard and, you know, overcome obstacles and push through tough reps. And I would go out there and spot him and see him fail on a bench press, but get back up and do another bench wow. press. And that somehow stuck with me. He said, so I always just he, just, he did. And it wasn't yeah. ever by anything. He was a quiet guy. It wasn't there by anything he ever told us to do. It was just by watching him do it, that it became kind of a thing for me. So, um so i did that consistently through you know beginning in high school college i remember when i went to my first first big gym it was a world gym and i was like well my goodness this is a whole new world here. There's equipment everywhere it's a whole big world and I, so i then i really got into the fitness thing became a trainer and it kind of became life for me i moved out to la and was fortunate to book some some fitness modeling jobs and so i got uh you know kind of lucky at first and did a couple, did muscle and fitness and men's health Ooh, and GQ cool. magazine. And so wow. it was nice. really was big deal you. for me. Yeah. It was a really big deal for me to be able to be on the cover of some of the magazines that my, I grew up with my dad reading or dad seeing and they were around my dad would see these, you know, Arnold and these other bodybuilders or whatever. And, you know, he'd kind of read these magazines. And so it was a really big deal for me to then wow. move to LA and be able to be on that. It was kind of a big, big moment for me. And so. Was uh,
1: he able know, to see that? that?
0: On he, no, he, he passed uh, away. He I'm saw sorry. my first one. Uh That's Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. He saw, you know, I had shot my first one, but then, he, yeah, he passed away shortly thereafter. Mm. So he didn't get to see kind of all the stuff that I had done, which is, At least he saw you know, it was very time. nice. Yeah. And my mom was always like, well, you know, to your dad, when you said you were going to do something, you're, you know, it's always been kind of my mindset. When I say I'm going to do something, may save some time, but I'm going to do it like writing a book or, you know, adopting kids. It's one of those things, even when I was young, I was like, I'm going to adopt kids. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And so my mom told me one time, which was, you know, meant a lot to me. She was like, you know, you know, when you move out to LA and you told your dad, you're going to do these things to him, it was kind of already done. So he didn't get to see all of it, but he already kind of in his head, it was already done. So he saw it kind of in spirit because, you know, for him, john said he was going to do it and john has that kind of uh just don't take no for an answer you know willpower to go and see it done so it That's meant beautiful. a lot to me because it was kind of sad for me that my dad didn't get to see never got to meet my wife never got to meet any of my kids and never got to see any of these things that i accomplished that he really laid the groundwork for you know in la adopting kids having you know i also have biological kids having for LA, a lot of kids and especially all at once, you know, my dad had a lot of kids at a time when it really wasn't very popular to have a lot of kids. And so he would have appreciated someone who went out and said, you know what? I don't care about, you know, the money, so to speak. I don't care about what society says about you should be this and that and do something else. You just went out and did it. And kind of, that's what he kind of did a little bit. And so again, I credit him a lot with it. Not that anything he told me, but just by watching him do it, it sunk in like the dreams to my subconscious somehow. So then with the exercise thing, it's interesting because it's kind of comes full circle for me with COVID, you know, all the gyms in LA closed, especially even more than, you know, I feel like some of my family, they hardly even noticed COVID was a thing in Tennessee In LA, it was a very big thing and everything closed down, all the gyms closed down overnight. And so, you know, I went from working out at the, you know, the Mecca Gold's gym, Venice Beach, Muscle Beach, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. And then... Yeah, it's cool. And it's cool seeing someone kind of, again, you know, I've seen Arnold there, talk to him a little bit, seeing some of the guys. So it's cool seeing some of these people that my dad kind of, his generation that he kind of looked up to. Um, But suddenly the gyms all closed and I was like, well, I've got this discipline where I work out five days a week. What do I do? And so, you know, we had a pair of 15 pound dumbbells. My neighbor had a pair of 40 pound dumbbells and my wife had an old bench that had been sitting outside for at least three or four years because we lived in a really small place. All six of us lived in about 900 square feet but it was close to the beach I got to watch those sunsets yeah and we didn't even have a garage that fit everything so we had a parking space and it was like assigned parking literally a parking lot but we had an assigned parking space so I'd drag all that stuff out there and just do workouts wow. out and, you know during COVID in the parking space and at first it was interesting because I was the weirdo kind of like my dad was with his headband and his short shorts working out back in the 80s and 90s when home fitness was really not a thing. Fitness in general wasn't even a huge thing, but especially having your own thing. And so it was funny, as the pandemic wore on, you would look down the row of you know parking spaces and all the other residents would slowly start to, they'd be like, okay, we better do this too. So at first nice. people would walk along and I'm the weirdo out there. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of weight. So I'd work out. My kids would come out and I'd be lifting my kids and they'd jump on my back for push ups and I would be doing curls with the kids. They'd get in a bucket and I'd be lifting them oh and my stuff. God. It's and so they started to enjoy it so much. They would be like, Well, Dad, when are we working out today? Dad, when are we working out? Today? So my discipline suddenly, like, I didn't even need it anymore because my kids would be like, Dad, time to work out. We got to go outside, and work out. Let's get our workout. Because to them, it was like horsey rides and spending time with dads and my dad, you know, me their dad. And, yes. you know, it was one of those things where suddenly they got to, you know, I went from working a whole lot to spending so much more time with them. And so even now, you know, we moved to a little bit bigger place here in Manhattan beach, got a garage and I built a home gym here and I haven't been back out to a regular gym. It's been so nice because still my kids will come and work out with me, you know, and I feel like now I'm getting the opportunity to, to, to give the, my kids what my dad gave me, which was the opportunity to watch their dad, you know, try hard fail, get back up after he fails, try a lift, sweat, you know, um, someone told me this one time, he's like, you know, kids, they get to see often their parent go to the gym, and they see them, you know, go to the gym, and they come back, and they're all sweaty, and tired, and grumpy from working out, but they, so they see the end result, but they don't see like the process, and there's something in letting your kids see the process of you trying to lift a weight you can't lift, and failing, and getting back underneath it, and trying again, and sweating, and doing something on a regular basis that doesn't look that comfortable. And that seeps into a kid's, uh, you know, subconscious. And to me, I was like, it, it, it rang a bell that was, you know, very clear because that was what happened with me watching my dad, like going out to spot him in the garage. And so now it's funny cause it's kind of a full circle thing for me. I get to now kind of give that same gift to my kids that I feel like my dad gave to me. And so I've, I've, you know, even now, uh, you know, gyms are open here. LA's back to functioning as normal. And I'm, you know, I still work out at home with my kids and, you know, work out at the house here and they still join in for, for curls and horsey, ride. they're getting a lot heavier. So it's, it's getting harder the more I do it because they don't, it's like Milo and the bowl, they don't stop growing, but, but it's been a really great thing for me to kind of have a full circle thing of, of how, what my dad taught me and then be able to, in, in a small way for myself, teach my kids some of the same things.
1: That's so beautiful. That's, that's so cool To I was just thinking about my dad and he passed before I was able to buy, like I just joined the army and and she didn't exist. And um, I think they would probably both be proud of us. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And what we've accomplished. Yeah. And um, so it, it got me a little choked up there for a second. You talking about that. So the, it's, very um inspirational and um, that's really cool of you to be carrying that forward and passing that habit on to your kids so that i'm sure they will carry that on to their kids and so forth yeah because that's really good my dad love you but he just like drank uh he would drink beers in front of tv and watch like national geographic and smoke cigarettes which was cool and he was he was great but you know that he didn't he didn't a lot of them didn't know any better i think at the time yeah exactly and so you're that's you're fortunate to have had such a good example and my dad was great in his own way but uh yeah you know we we all have our paths yeah so you're writing you do you your your fitness i mean you you stay fit and stuff but do you you know coach anyone else or do anything like that
0: yeah, I have clients and, okay. you know, I have uh, that uh COVID took a chunk out of that. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of loyal clients that kind of stuck with me. But I do some coaching, some personal training. Nice. You know, I write, uh, you know, fitness uh blogs and a fitness book and things like that. So I'm very involved in the fit- fitness world. Also, again, doing the fitness modeling and, you know, a little bit of acting and different type of things. I've learned in L.A. You kind of got to diversify because, well, COVID can come out and wipe everything out in one day, not to mention you know, a lot of other things can too. So for me, I've, uh, kind of kept my hand in a lot of different, um, you know, arenas, but, uh, yes, I, I love to work with people. I love to help people because I, have you know, again, with fitness, I've seen such a huge difference in my life growing up in my brother's life and my friend's life. I've seen how it's changed people, not just on the outside. Cause again, it's great having, you know, abs and being fit and being healthy. All these things are great, but just the mindset, the confidence, the ability that it gives you in other areas of life is life-changing to me. And, and feel I love better. being able to help other people. Yeah, you feel better, you feel more confident. You know, I, I wrote something on Instagram today about you know, um, confidence and self-discipline are built through repetition. And one of, working out is one of the great ways to do that because the more you do something, the more confident you get at it. If I say, oh, I need you to lift 100 pounds the first time you lift it, it may be a little bit tough and you're not that confident. You're like, well, that weight looks big, that looks heavy, I'm gonna get hurt. You lift it a couple of times. You're like, well, wait a minute. I can kind of handle that. Right? Your confidence grows, gets you know, bigger as you do it. So confidence, you know, and self-discipline—they're muscles that you can train. And all of these, you know, for me with my clients, I always work on kind of the mindset, um, the mindset component of it before I work on the physical component because the physical component, I feel like anybody, any, you know, I'm, I'm, I have an exercise science degree, several certifications, been doing this for a long time. You can go online and find a workout that, uh, you know, somebody's written, anybody's written, any random trainer in LA of which there are thousands can give you a few sets and reps to do. But, you know, changing what you do is relatively easy. Just saying, oh, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do a few reps. But changing what you are is something completely different. Going from someone who is, um, you know, Let's just say lazy, or someone who skips workouts, or someone who'd rather sleep in than get up early when it's difficult, or someone who uh, just eats any food because it looks delicious and it smells delicious and you're hungry at the moment. That's one thing, but becoming someone who says, Okay, I have the self discipline, the willpower to say, I'm not going to eat this because I have this goal, or I'm going to get up and work out, even if the workout is crappy, much like my book. I'm going to finish this book, even if it's crappy. I'm going to work out, even if it's crappy. That person can do a whole lot of different things. That person is someone who has changed not just what they're doing, as in getting a few reps, doing a little workout. That person has changed what they are, which is someone who can do something difficult even when they don't feel like doing it. And that person who can do something difficult even when they don't feel like doing it can accomplish anything else. You can go into the business world and accomplish what you want. You can go into, for me, the foster care system and accomplish what you want to do. You can go into your family. You can go into your relationships. You can go into the gym, and it transfers across you know, your life as opposed to just saying, okay, I go to the gym and I do a few sets and reps every day. That's a fine thing that's changing what you're doing, but it's not necessarily changing what you are. So for me, when I work with people, we focus on changing what you are. Let's not just say, okay, let's let's do a little of this and a little of that and you'll feel better about yourself. We say let's foundationally change what you are from what you are right now to what you want to be. And the person you want to be can accomplish anything else. And so, again, going back to me, I don't understand how people separate the physical from the mental. To me, it's one helps the other. If you're strong mentally, you can be strong physically. If you're strong physically, you can be strong mentally. There's no reason for me in my head to say you, you've got to choose one or the other. you either got to work on your mental strength or you got to get work on your physical strength. To me, they multiply each other. If you work on one, it's a multiplier for the other
1: yeah i mean if anytime i'm stressed out or hit a mental roadblock or i go for a run and a lot like if i have some problem that i'm dealing with like with business i go for a run and a lot of times every time the solution comes to me halfway through yeah. the run and i'm like okay too easy I and if you're ever feeling like stagnant or you know like lazy for instance and i feel like again just going for a run it builds momentum in Mm -hmm. your life and then you can carry that momentum on in you know your business or your work or your whatever you're doing writing something i feel like for me going you know fitness has always been a very key component in my mental health you know yeah absolutely absolutely So,
0: well, to your point, too, I'm a big believer in in creating positive momentum. I talk about this a lot with my clients. Is you know, we're so easy. You know, you you talk to people who start a new year's revelation or whatever, and we're so hard on ourselves. We say, okay, you could work out four days a week, and if you miss Friday, you're suddenly like, oh, well, I'm a piece of trash. I can't do this. I knew I couldn't do this. You know, this is what my dad told me, what my (laughs) uh, PE teacher when I was in high school told me that I'm just a lazy, whatever. And you erase four days of really good hard work for one thing. And so I'm all about for me creating positive momentum, getting small victories and let those victories compound. So when, we, when I start with people, we always talk about not setting our goals too high. You want to overperform and leave room for momentum and excitement and positive energy to, to parlay that into the next goal, as opposed to saying, I set my goal so high and I barely made it. Now i got to drag myself to try and do the next one and it's a losing proposition. But if you, it's like a building a snowball and you know, my, my fitness book, I talk about this. It's, it's, you know, in my fitness book I wrote, it's 30 days and each day as a mindset component and a physical component, and it's 10 minutes a day and you read it and it's kind of a different, each day is a different concept. And then you have a little physical challenge and a little mindset challenge takes 10 minutes total. But each day kind of snowballs so you get a little bit better and a little bit better But the first chapter talks about how it's trying to build a snowman And if you have a snowball and you crush the snow together and you try and make a little snowball It's easy at first you crush it too hard and you smash your little ball and you got to do it over again and but the more you get that ball and you Compact it and the more surface area you have you start rolling it and at first is very difficult to roll But once you get it going, you got a little momentum in it. It starts picking up more snow. The more you roll it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually, that ball gets so big and so strong and so powerful that you couldn't stop it almost if you want to, like with my workouts. At this point, I've been doing this 20 plus years. If I tried to miss a day, my discipline says, nah, I don't think so, Bob. You better get on out there and get this workout in because the snowball is so big at a certain point that the momentum keeps it going on its own because it's like a snowball rolling downhill. You, you develop That's that a great process that actually theory. does the work for you. So instead of having to start over with the snowball all the time like people do, you want to just get the momentum, the positive momentum going and let that work for you. And then once you get that positive momentum going, you get that positive mindset going, you get that positivity going, the snowball gets bigger and bigger almost without, without nearly as much effort as, yeah. as, you, as you have as, to put in at the beginning. And so if you're willing to do the kind of hard work to put the ground, you know, to build a good, solid core of that snowball, you can take it so much further where it will be so easy, uh, you know, uh, relatively speaking, it will be so easy in the long run. But people don't do that. What they do is they keep trying to, you know, Start shortcut a new the beginning snowball. of it start a snowball, new snowball all the time, yeah. they get too aggressive and they break the snowball and they have to start over and they constantly find themselves just sitting in the snow with a broken snowball saying, man, I knew I couldn't do this. I, I've tried a hundred snowballs every January. I try this and it just doesn't work. And at a certain point, they're almost unable to do it because they've failed so many times. All they've done is taught themselves to fail. All they've taught themselves to is to crush the snowball and start over. And so it's well, like- to me... Sorry, go ahead. Have... No, no, I was just saying to me it's it's you know spending time on the foundation and getting that positive momentum going will take you a whole lot further than than you know being super aggressive crushing the snowball and starting over every January.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, so but as you were saying that I love that analogy by the way, but my fitness uh like momentum started when I was in uh, like middle school because i wanted to make the basketball team and i was not good enough so i had to try really hard and that progressed through high school like up to about my junior year where i ended up getting into some trouble but for like six years i had to try harder than everyone else because i was like the least physically gifted or talented Mm -hmm. or coordinated so i created this work ethic that is since like lasted you know 30 years later but so i i developed that momentum from a young age but is it ever too late to start you know
0: yeah no it's not to be honest people i get this question quite a bit because people like oh now i'm in my 40s or my 50s my 60s and i've developed all these bad habits mm -hmm. and i have to unwind all these bad habits i have to you know I've got all these neural pathways in my brain Mm -hmm. where my, my brain naturally, you know, it's like digging kind of a ditch and your, your brain naturally thinks this one way. And we all have them. We all have them mostly from childhood. We have them from habits we developed. And the more you do it, the deeper deeper that ditch gets and the deeper that ditch gets. So for me again, with the exercise starting young, that ditch is so deep in my brain that my brain automatically falls into like, well, I got to go get a workout real quick even if it's crappy, even if it's short, even if it's whatever, my brain, that's my natural inclination. So the problem with starting later is you have all of these ditches that when you're trying to dig a new ditch and a new neural pathway that says, I'm going to stop being a workout skipper and I'm going to start being a workout doer, no matter how I feel, I'm not going to listen to all my emotions. I'm going to listen to my self-discipline and do this. It gets harder because it's easy to fall into the old ditch because you're trying to dig that new one. And it's just a groove. It's, it's, it's small, but if you get out of that groove, even a little bit, it's easy to just kind of topple over and fall into your old ditch of your mm-hmm. old habits. And so I think the, that's where having a coach that that in handy. Absolutely. You know? Because okay. that, I think that's where it is. And not just any coach, a coach who understands the mindset aspect of it, because there's plenty on Instagram and in LA all over the world. There are plenty of coaches who can get in and give you workouts give you a few sets and reps as I talked about earlier. But when you're trying to dig that new ditch, you need a coach that can help you get out of the old ditch when you fall into it, because that's where people get stuck. Because if you're young, you don't have as many of those old neural pathways to kind of get stuck into. When you get older, you have them. We all have them. We have all ways of thinking, ways of acting, things that are natural. And when you get uncomfortable, your body just flips right into that natural one. So you're trying to dig this new pathway, this new ditch, I always call it. And you get off track, you get knocked off, you go out of town for a week, you come back, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you ate like trash, you slept like trash, you feel like trash. It's hard to get back out of that old ditch because you go right back to your old ways. And you need someone who can help you climb up out of that ditch and get back and say, no, let's, let's, let's keep digging this new ditch because it seems uncomfortable. And it really sucks because this new ditch is like, two inches deep of a groove and your old ditch is six feet deep where you can bury yourself in. And you have to go back and say, have someone who can coach you to get back up the cliff and get back in the new cliff and say, keep digging. And eventually this new ditch is gonna be 60 feet deep too. And your old ditch is gonna be a thing of the past where you can't go back into it. And so it takes time. The problem with, again, people who are a little bit older is they have so many of these old neural pathways that it's too easy to fall into them. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, to your point, they don't have anyone who can coach them and help them out of them. And because it's because mm-hmm. it's hard to, again, like falling into a six or eight foot hole, it's hard to pull yourself out. You need someone at the top who can throw you down a rope and say, hey, this is how you get back up. Now let's get back over here and start digging this ditch again. And so that's where it helps, helps having a, a coach who will not just approach things from a physical standpoint, but from yeah. a mental standpoint, because physically, you can do this or that and something else, but that's only changing what you're doing. That's not changing what you are. That's not changing the neural pathway that you're trying to dig.
1: Well, I think that you would be a great coach just by talking to you for an hour. (laughs) I really appreciate you taking the time and letting me get to know you and the audience get to know you a little bit better. Jonathan Prather, you're an inspirational guy. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you
0: yeah yeah it was great talking to you thank you so much for having me on i really really appreciate talking with you and uh you know i love your podcast and appreciate all the good that you're putting out there and uh, and thank you yeah thank you for taking the time to to talk with me
1: yeah very cool and and so where can people find you
0: so i'm you know i have my website is john t prather.com j-o-h-n and the letter t p-r-a-t-h-e-r Um, Also, I'm on Instagram, John T. Prather. Basically, John T. Prather, you can find me about anywhere. So Instagram, Twitter, um, everything is John T. Prather. But my website is kind of the hub where you can go find my book, find my Instagram, find my blogs that I write about fitness and adoption and foster care, those type of things. So um, you can find all that stuff on johntprather.com.
1: johntprather.com. You're an amazing person. Thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Peace.